Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Ohio. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Twenty-year-old Lisa Straub and twenty-one-year-old Johnny Clark were young and in love. They'd been dating for about two years, and they were inseparable. They were always together, be it with their circle of friends or staying over at one another's parents' house. On the night of January 30th, 2011, a little after 10 p.m., Lisa finished up her shift at TGI Fridays, and Johnny picked her up and drove her back home to her parents' house. According to Nancy Grace, Lisa's parents had left for a cruise a few days prior to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary, so the couple had the house to themselves. At around 10.40 p.m., Johnny and Lisa's friend Tiffany called them to finalize some plans for the night. According to her, the couple was going to swing by and pick her and a guy named Zachary up and then head back to Lisa's parents' house to play some pool. Right before hanging up, WNWO reports that Johnny told her, Hey Tiff, we're on the way out the door, we're coming to get you. The call ended, but Tiffany realized that she needed to run out to the store really quickly to buy some cigarettes, so she called Johnny back to let him know. But when Johnny picked up the phone, he didn't say anything to her. She just heard him saying, bro, what are you doing? In Tiffany's interrogation video, which is available on WTOL's YouTube channel, Tiffany says that she heard Johnny repeat that three times and that he sounded pissed. She also heard him say, who the hell are you? And then heard a man's voice in the background but couldn't tell what he was saying. After this, Tiffany says that it sounded like Johnny's phone dropped and the call ended. Concerned, she made a few attempts to contact the couple, but after this call dropped, all attempts failed. Tiffany was obviously worried that something was up and wanted to go check on them to make sure everything was okay, but according to her interrogation video, Zachary basically told her not to worry about it, that they'd be by to pick him up in a few and it would all be good. But Johnny and Lisa didn't show up. Eventually, Tiffany decided to drive by Lisa's parents' house to see if everything was okay, which sounds dangerous as fuck, but that's the story. It's unclear if Zach was with her or if she was alone when she went by the house, but I've seen reports of both. WNWO reports that when Tiffany did get to the house, she went to the front door and rang the doorbell, but no one answered. Fast forward a little less than two and a half hours later, Tiffany wound up getting her friend to call Johnny's mom to tell her what had happened. Naturally, Johnny's mom was freaking out and asked the friend for Tiffany's number so she could hear exactly what had happened straight from her. At 1.21 a.m., Johnny's mom made her first call to 911. The calls can be heard on WNWO's YouTube page, which I'll link in Johnny and Lisa's highlight. Johnny's mom told the dispatcher that her son's friend had heard him on the phone saying, Who are you? What do you want? What are you doing here? And heard someone screaming at him. 
She says that Tiffany told her that she had driven over to Lisa's parents' house and that all the lights were on and that the house looked ransacked, specifically that the cabinets looked ransacked, and that Tiffany and Johnny's father were currently on their way over to Lisa's parents' house to check on them, but she also wanted the police to go over there too. Throughout this call, Johnny's mom is in a full panic. There's no doubt that she is genuinely concerned that something terrible had happened, and she was actually so upset that they actually wound up sending EMS out to her house to make sure that she was okay. A little before 1.30 a.m., the police responded to the house and looked around the property to see if anything looked out of place. It had been snowing that night, but they didn't see any footprints in the snow, the windows were intact, the blinds and the curtains were drawn, and no one answered the door. Everything looked fine from the outside, so after 10 minutes or so, around 1.40 a.m., the police left. Knowing that Johnny's mom was saying that Tiffany saw the house and, more specifically, the cabinets ransacked, it seemed crazy that they would have left. But the police didn't see that. They didn't see anything. The blinds and the curtains were drawn. The windows were covered. Which begged the glaring question, if Tiffany had told Johnny's mom that she saw the house ransacked, how did she see it? Johnny's parents weren't about to let this go. They were worried about their son and what, if anything, happened when that call dropped. So Johnny's mom started heading over to Lisa's parents' house and called 911 again on her way there. In the second 911 call, Johnny's mom is pissed. And she makes sure to point out that Tiffany hadn't told her about any of this until two hours after that call happened. She asked for the police to go out again because she still couldn't get in touch with her son or Lisa. Johnny's mom made it to Lisa's parents' house and straight up blocked Tiffany's car in the driveway and said that she wanted Tiffany's license plate number so she could give it to the police. She didn't hold back with Tiffany at all, and in this 911 call, you can flat out hear her ask Tiffany what she was driving. It was dark out and Johnny's mom was in a panic, so it might have been hard for her to tell, but Tiffany also had no problem telling her. And when Tiffany did, Johnny's mom, with no hesitation, said, I have a feeling you set up my son. My son is missing. He's nowhere to be found and then handed Tiffany her phone and told her to tell the dispatcher exactly what she had told Johnny's mom earlier. Tiffany took the phone and walked the dispatcher through the events of the night. She said that Johnny and Lisa were supposed to pick up her and her friend Zachary, and that Johnny had told her they were on the way. Tiffany says she called Johnny right back to tell him she was going to the store, but that she'd meet him at the house where they were picking her up from. When Tiffany called Johnny back, she says she heard him yelling, Bro, who are you? She said she texted Lisa asking her where she was and if she was okay, but that Lisa never responded. She says she called several times before finally driving to Lisa's parents' house to check on them. Tiffany doesn't mention anything about the house or the cabinets being ransacked when she talked to the dispatcher. The police responded again and looked around the house some more, but this time for about 30 minutes. But again, they saw nothing suspicious. The windows were still intact, there were no signs of forced entry, they couldn't see inside, they didn't see any new footprints in the snow, and they didn't hear any signs of distress from inside the house, so again, the police left. The police had been there twice now, and they were doing a welfare check and had some stipulations as to what they could or couldn't do. Of course, Johnny's parents wanted someone to go into the house to see if their son and Lisa were okay. But in order to be able to do so, they needed probable cause. 
And from what the officers had seen or hadn't seen during their welfare checks of the home, they didn't find any probable cause that would have legally allowed them to kick in the door. Now, we know that Johnny's mom told 911 that Tiffany had said the house and the cabinets had been ransacked, but the police didn't see any of that, and not for lack of checking. And while Johnny's mom had told the dispatcher that Tiffany had said the house was ransacked, Tiffany herself did not mention that to the dispatcher when Johnny's mom handed her the phone. I reached out to a police officer to ask at what point the police would have the authority to kick in a door. The officer said that they would need consent from the homeowner or there would need to be an exigent circumstance. To make sure I understood what exactly an exigent circumstance was, I looked it up. According to Cornell Law School's website, an exigent circumstance is a circumstance that would cause a reasonable person to believe that entry or other relevant prompt action is necessary to prevent physical harm to officers or other persons. The officer I spoke to said that in order to kick in a door, you need to have a little more than bookcases knocked over, and I hadn't mentioned any ransacking when I asked him this question. The officer said that you need to see blood or someone's foot or any other indicators that a person was injured or needed help. After the police left the second time, the rest of the family, Johnny's parents and Johnny's mom's cousin, stayed behind to keep looking around to try and figure out what was going on inside the house. Through a small opening in the garage door, they could see that Lisa's car was still in there, so it seemed like the only possibility was that Lisa and Johnny were still in the house but they weren't responding to any attempts to try and communicate with them. Johnny's parents and Johnny's mom's cousin searched all around the outside of Lisa's parents' house. They tried peering through windows, but they couldn't see anything. Until CNN reports, they noticed that the blinds in a kitchen window on the back side of the house were turned downward. If blinds are turned upward, you can't see anything but the ceiling, even if you get the right angle. But if they're turned downward, if you get enough leverage, you might be able to see inside the room. So Johnny's father hoisted his wife's cousin up to see through the top of the blinds, and when she did, the nightmare began. She saw Johnny's broken phone in the corner and his body laying on the floor. This is when Johnny's mom made her third and final call to 911 while Johnny's father ran to the front door and kicked it in himself. When he got into the kitchen, he found the bodies of both Johnny and Lisa. They had been bound with duct tape, had plastic shopping bags over their heads, and duct tape wrapped around their necks. WTVG reports that Johnny's father immediately ripped the bag open that was covering his son's face, but that it was cold to the touch and stiff. Johnny's body had started going into rigor mortis. He then ripped the bag off of Lisa's face and noticed the same thing, along with dried blood on her face. According to an investigative report from WTOL, there was also a puppy in the home, but the puppy was unharmed. Police rushed over to Lisa's parents' house for the third time, and a little before 4 a.m., the investigation into Johnny and Lisa's deaths began. According to documents obtained by WTOL, Johnny was found wearing a gray t-shirt, gray sweatpants, and a gray sweatshirt that was pulled up exposing his stomach. His wallet was found placed directly on top of his body, and it had no money in it. He had been bound with duct tape at his wrists and his ankles, and duct tape had also been wrapped around his neck over top of the bag. Lisa was found still in her TGI Friday's uniform, and her shirt was also pulled up exposing her stomach. She hadn't even been home long enough to change her clothes. 
and with both of their stomachs exposed, it seemed like their bodies might have been dragged to where they were found. Lisa had also been bound at the wrists. Unlike Johnny, her feet were not bound. However, she did have the same duct tape around her neck, covering the bag that had been placed over her head. Both Johnny and Lisa had petechia on their face. Petechia are little pinpoint round spots on the skin caused by blood vessels breaking open. According to Volume 14, Issue 7 by Consultant 360, strangulation can cause the blood vessels in the skin to rupture above the area of constriction if the strangulation obstructs venous return while allowing arterial blood flow. Pressure builds in the venules and capillaries and in areas of little connective support tissue Rupture of these vessels causes petechia, and it looks like that's exactly what happened. According to the Toledo Blade, the medical examiner determined that the duct tape around Johnny and Lisa's necks had been so tight that it cut off their blood supply. With the duct tape around their necks and the bags over their heads, they ran out of air. According to a court document from the Supreme Court of Ohio, their cause of death was listed as asphyxiation due to strangulation and suffocation. The sheriff's department called in the FBI pretty early on after arriving at the scene, which is kind of a big deal. This crime scene wasn't just the kitchen where Johnny and Lisa were found. It was essentially the entire house. It had been ransacked. The investigative report obtained by WTOL11 detailed just how ransacked it was. Broken pieces of two cell phones, Lisa's and Johnny's, were found in different areas of the kitchen and living room. And I'm talking one piece found by the patio door and another piece found on the fireplace. A DVD and a pair of fingernail clippers were found on the floor between the kitchen and the living room. A clock was lying face down on the floor in front of the fireplace, which looked like it might have been hanging from above the mantel. A planter had been knocked over in the living room near the kitchen, and a black t-shirt was found on a planter near Lisa's body. The kitchen and the living room were divided by a step, and on the step up into the kitchen, a vent had been removed. A standalone cabinet in the kitchen had been opened, the kitchen cabinets were opened, and the home security's alarm information was scattered across the kitchen table. The kitchen cabinets being opened caused a lot of people to raise their eyebrows at Tiffany, because according to Johnny's mom, she had mentioned that prior to her first call to 911. Now, of course, we never heard the call that she made to Johnny's mom, but Johnny's mom did specifically mention it in her 911 calls. It had people wondering how she would have known that or anything about the house being ransacked if it took Johnny's dad hoisting someone up to see anything inside the house. The police continued documenting the damage throughout the house and a door from the garage that led into the kitchen looked slightly bowed at the deadbolt. They found a piece of splintered wood near it. In a non-master bedroom, there was damage done to the locking mechanism of the door, indicating that it had been forced open which makes you wonder if maybe Johnny and Lisa had been trying to hide. On top of the bed in that room, it looked like someone had gone through Lisa's purse and dumped everything out of it. A chair was knocked over in front of the bed, and a drawer on the nightstand was opened. Drawers from the closet of that bedroom had been pulled out, and those contents had been dumped on the floor, 
and the stuff that was once on the shelves had been knocked over. Whoever had been in this room was looking for something, but it had to be something really specific because a lot of valuable things like jewelry, computers, and foreign currency had been left behind. In the master bedroom, the mattress had been pushed off the box spring. The report said it looked like someone might have been trying to look underneath it. The drawers in the master bedroom were open and the contents of them were thrown on the floor. The clothes in the master closet had been thrown out, a dresser had been rifled through and knocked over, and behind that dresser was a panel that led to the attic, and that panel had been opened. This really stood out. Obviously, whoever was in this house was looking for something. I think that's pretty clear at this point. But pushing dressers over and finding a panel in the wall behind it, along with that vent being removed from that step up in the kitchen, just seemed really specific. Lisa's parents' house had been completely trashed. I mean, when we talk about a house being ransacked, this is it. This crime scene spanned the entire house. And while law enforcement had a lot to comb through, it also meant that there were that many chances to find some kind of evidence that the killer left behind. Investigators noticed that there were two knives missing from the knife block in the kitchen, but they were both found, one on the counter and one on the island, which seemed odd. There were knives lying out in the kitchen where Lisa and Johnny's bodies had been found, but neither of them had been stabbed. This detail made everything seem so personal. Taking someone's life is horrible regardless of the mode, but using a knife is pretty quick. Binding two people, putting bags over their heads, and tightly wrapping duct tape around their necks is time-consuming and requires a lot of effort, which had people questioning whether it was even possible for only one person to have done this. I mean, Johnny was a pretty muscular guy. It also had people questioning whether or not this was random or if the person or persons responsible knew the couple. Continuing on with the kitchen, though, the police found two partial shoe prints, one with a circular pattern and one with a rectangular pattern. Everyone on scene had their shoe patterns checked, as well as the shoes currently at the house, and none of them matched the partial prints in the kitchen or from the hallway leading from the garage to the kitchen, which was the hallway leading away from that bowed door and splintered wood. A cigarette butt was also found on the floor by that door. It seemed pretty clear to investigators that whoever killed Johnny and Lisa had gained access to the house through the garage door, which explained the lack of footprints in the snow because, according to Nancy Grace, the driveway and the streets were dry at that point. Lisa's parents were literally on a cruise ship when this happened. ABC 13 reports that it was actually the captain of that cruise ship that had to break the news to them. The ship was stopped so that they could catch a flight home. When they got back, the FBI walked them through their house to try and see what, if anything, had been taken, and according to a segment on Nancy Grace, the only thing they could determine was that two $20 bills had been taken from a jar of coins. That is it. The gravity of these murders rocked the community in this little suburb of Toledo. This was a quiet, nice little neighborhood, and no one had heard or seen anything. Roughly three hours had passed between Tiffany's phone call with Johnny's mom and when the police did their first welfare check at Lisa's parents' house. 
Certainly, the police would have heard the astronomical ransacking of the house if the perpetrator or perpetrators were still in there when they were checking the exterior of the house. So everything came down to what happened in that small window of time, who did it, and why. Almost immediately, the media started looking into the victims' backgrounds, and WTVG reported that in 2007, when Johnny was only 18, he was convicted of two counts of robbery after they say that on two separate occasions he robbed two men at gunpoint. The outlet reports that he spent a year and two months in prison before being released. So the police began looking into what Johnny's time was like in prison and whether or not he got into any kind of trouble there or if anyone he was in prison with had recently been released. Investigators weren't sure whether Johnny and Lisa were targeted or if someone just happened to notice that her parents weren't home and hoped to rob the house, not expecting to run into the couple. That being said, Johnny's mom was pretty adamant about what she thought. She told the Toledo Blade that these people need to get capital murder for premeditated murder, that they know them. All sorts of theories and rumors started running throughout the community and online. Names were thrown around, Lisa's ex-boyfriend was discussed, but a lot of the public speculation was put on Johnny and Lisa's friend Tiffany. They felt like she knew too much and that she knew things that she shouldn't have known. However, there were arguments on both sides of the Tiffany debate. Some argued that all the speculation against her was due to what Johnny's mom had said Tiffany told her, that no one was there to hear what was actually said. The only thing we do know is that Johnny's mom did mention being told that the house was ransacked in her 911 call, and the house most definitely was ransacked, even though it seemed like no one was able to tell that from the outside looking in until given enough leverage. There were also talks that Johnny had often bragged about how nice Lisa's parents' house was and that they'd had a safe with a lot of money in it. Over the next few days, a $5,000 reward was offered for information, and Johnny's mom went on Nancy Grace to talk about the investigation. Johnny's mom was pretty vocal throughout the investigation, sometimes saying things that shocked more than a few people, while Lisa's family, for the most part, stayed out of the media. Lisa's uncle actually wound up becoming the designated family spokesperson. On the segment of Nancy Grace, Johnny's mom said that everyone always went into Lisa's parents' house through the garage door and that they knew about a key that was in the box near it. Though, key or not, it seemed like there had been some kind of forced entry through the garage door. When asked about Johnny's criminal history, his mother refused to discuss it, which makes sense. I mean, her son was murdered and she's on a mission to find justice for him, not to rehash his past. But she was willing to talk about Lisa's ex-boyfriend, saying that he'd recently been released from prison for robbery and that he was a really jealous person. Lisa's ex-boyfriend had been a bit of a discussion around town and even a little online, but a lot of locals have said that he actually hadn't been recently released. When asked if Johnny had any enemies, his mother told the show that he didn't and that this had nothing to do with him. In fact, she said that she would have been more connected to this than my son. That comment rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, feeling like Johnny's mom was putting some kind of blame on Lisa for what had happened to them. And it was a realistic question to ask, if he had enemies. Johnny had been in prison for robbery. Certainly, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he had an enemy. On February 14th, Lisa's uncle, her family spokesperson, spoke to ABC 13 and said that he thinks whoever did this was looking for a safe. 
a safe that didn't exist. There was no safe. Lisa's parents did not own one. He told the outlet that holes had been punched in the walls and that pictures had been removed. As if whoever did this watched way too many movies and thought that this house in the middle of the suburbs somehow had a super secret safe built into the walls behind an unsuspecting painting. On March 1st, the Holland Springfield Journal published the first real update on the investigation. They wrote that a sergeant from the sheriff's department said that this wasn't random and it wasn't a robbery, that it was personal, that he believed it was a drug-related crime that was instigated by the actions of the victims. The fuck did you just say? That comment obviously had more than a few people raging. And a little over a month later, the Toledo Blade reported that the sheriff's department was now saying that they didn't believe Lisa and Johnny were killed by professionals, but do believe that they were targeted and do not know the motive. You can imagine that this back and forth was pretty discouraging to the people waiting for any kind of justice in this case. However, the Toledo Blade did a piece on one of the detectives working the case, and it was pretty encouraging. The outlet reported that this detective kept a photo of Lisa and Johnny at eye level across from his desk, so it was right there in front of him anytime he looked up. Along with the photo was the program and prayer card from Lisa's funeral and a handwritten note that indicated that whoever did this brought the duct tape with them, which was the first real indicator that this could have been premeditated, that maybe this wasn't a robbery gone wrong. The Toledo Blade wrote that Lisa and Johnny's case file was almost filling up its fourth drawer in the filing cabinet and that everywhere this detective went, he carried a working file with him just in case he was anywhere other than in his office when the case broke. And after waiting eight months, the case did break. On September 22, 2011, the news finally came that someone had been arrested in connection to Lisa and Johnny's murders. 24-year-old Sam Williams. He was charged with two counts of aggravated murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of aggravated burglary. Neither Lisa nor Johnny's family had any clue who this guy was. They had never seen him and they had never heard of him. Regardless, though, both families hoped that he would face the death penalty. According to WTOL, Lisa's family actually wrote to the prosecutor saying, We make a personal plea to you to ask that you impose the death penalty to the suspect that strangled Johnny and Lisa to death. While they were gasping for their last breaths with his arms wrapped around their necks, they were not given the chance to make a plea deal to save their lives. This was the first time anyone had heard about anyone's arms being wrapped around their necks. Until now, it had just been duct tape and plastic bags. WTOL went all out and started digging to try and find out anything they could about Sam, and they found that he was no stranger to law enforcement. They reported that in 2010, he had been charged with disorderly conduct after allegedly biting his ex-wife. They reported that in 2010, he had been charged with disorderly conduct after allegedly pushing and biting his ex-wife. In another instance, court records show that he'd threatened to kill his ex-wife. 
In 2011, he was charged with domestic violence after going to pick up his five-year-old from his ex-wife and allegedly kicking the door open and threatening her. They noted that Sam was also convicted of disorderly conduct in another instance after telling a woman in Toledo that he was going to shoot up her house and kill everyone inside. Police felt like they had their guy, but according to the Toledo Blade, they didn't believe that he was the only guy and said that they expected more arrests to come. And less than a single month later, they did. A second man named Cameo was also charged in connection to Lisa and Johnny's murders. He faced the same charges as Sam and was one of Sam's lifelong friends. Cameo's mother told the Toledo Blade that the two grew up together and that Cameo had seemed shocked when he heard about Sam's arrest. Cameo, much like Sam, was also no stranger to law enforcement. According to the outlet, between 2010 and when he was arrested in connection to Lisa and Johnny's murder, he had been charged with either domestic violence or assault eight times. Out of those eight times, five were dropped, he was found guilty of one, and according to WTOL, one was still pending. One of the pending charges, according to the Toledo Blade, was for an incident where court documents say he tried to punch the mother of one of his children, threw her down, and also bit her. Both of these guys had charges involving biting. Do with that what you will. With two people arrested, detectives were still saying that more arrests were possible, and there was a third, a 21-year-old woman who was charged with giving false information to police. After these arrests, things were pretty quiet about what was going on with the case. Both defendants pled not guilty, and everyone just kind of waited for the trial. In March of 2012, while the world continued to wait for the trial, the Toledo Blade reported that Johnny's mom was actually banned from attending the trial whenever it did happen. The outlet reports that there was an incident where she got confrontational with three people at the courthouse who weren't associated with Johnny and Lisa's case. It was mentioned that she was also belligerent with the prosecutor's office's victim witness staff. The outlet quotes the judge as saying, It appears that, Johnny's mom, cannot conduct herself with any self-control and could cause problems during the course of the trial. All family members were previously warned concerning this conduct while in the courthouse. In July of 2012, both Sam and Cameo's trial began. They were tried at the same time, but in different courtrooms. During the trial, WTOL reports that Lisa's father testified to the fact that he didn't own duct tape, so whoever did this had to have brought it with them. ABC 13 reported that some of Johnny's friends took the stand and testified that he was a drug dealer and bragged about Lisa's parents having a lot of money and a safe at their house. One of the most crucial witnesses in Sam's trial seemed to be an inmate who he'd been in jail with. The Toledo Blade reports that this inmate testified that Sam had told him that he would never forget how the bag made a crinkle noise when Lisa breathed in, and said that they were essentially torturing Lisa and Johnny to try and get Johnny to tell them where the safe was. This inmate also testified to the possible motive. That Sam, Cameo, and a third man, you heard that right, had gone to Lisa's house looking for heroin and cash, that they hadn't gone there to kill anyone. According to the Toledo Blade, he said that Sam told him they would asphyxiate Lisa until she passed out and then give her air, but that the third time they did it, Lisa didn't wake up. 
He said that the only thing the men found was what he called monopoly money, referencing the foreign currency found still in Lisa's parents' house, and that they didn't take it because they didn't know how to get it exchanged into American dollars. And while that might be true, there was a lot of other valuable stuff that wasn't taken that could have been sold for money. This inmate's testimony was not a part of Cameo's trial. A clip of a jailhouse phone call was also played solely in Sam's trial, where the Toledo Blade reports that Sam can be heard telling Cameo's brother, It was supposed to be you with me, but Lil Bro had to step up and take your spot. He didn't do it right, but he did it good enough. The most damning piece of evidence, though, was that cigarette butt that had been found on the floor by the door connecting the garage to the hallway that led to the kitchen. DNA results for that cigarette butt came back as a mixture of both Sam and Cameo's DNA. In late July, during Cameo's trial, the Toledo Blade reports that the defense straight up asked the judge to dismiss Cameo's charges. They said that the prosecution hadn't proved its case and that the only thing tying Cameo to the scene of the crime was a cigarette butt. And Sam's girlfriend had testified earlier that she had seen Sam and Cameo share cigarettes before. This opened up some reasonable doubt that one of them could have smoked part of the cigarette and the other smoked the rest, and that it didn't necessarily mean that the cigarette was smoked by both defendants at the same time inside of Lisa's parents' house. With that, Cameo's charges were dropped. All of them. Cameo's father told the Toledo Blade that God gave us a victory and that he wanted to send his condolences to the families of Lisa and Johnny. His mother told the outlet that she didn't know how the cigarette butt got there, but that she didn't believe Cameo nor Sam had done it. Shortly after Cameo's charges were dropped, deliberations began for Sam, and after two days, they found him guilty on all counts. He was not sentenced to death, but was given life without the possibility of parole. Now, this is usually where the episode ends, but there's more. A little over a year after Sam's conviction, the Toledo Blade reports that Johnny's mom was arrested for menacing after going over to Zachary's mom's house and shining a light in the window, Zachary being the guy that Tiffany was with the night of the phone call that started it all. According to the outlet, the court affidavit also accused Johnny's mom of driving past the house every night and saying that she would hunt the victim and her son. Those charges were later dismissed. It gets even crazier, though, because in December of 2014, Tiffany, you know, Tiffany, was shot at in an alley. Someone had fired two shots at her, but they missed. Shortly thereafter, Johnny's mom, Johnny's dad, and a lieutenant with the sheriff's department were arrested. According to the Dayton Daily News, the lieutenant had told Johnny's mom where and when they could find Tiffany, and then Johnny's mom told Johnny's dad, who then went out and shot at Tiffany. Johnny's mom was sentenced to two years, while Johnny's dad and the lieutenant were both sentenced to four years. This case went pretty silent for a few years, but in May of this year, 2021, Sam spoke out for the first time in an exclusive interview with WTOL 11 Investigates. He told the outlet that when he was arrested in 2011, he thought he was being arrested on a warrant for domestic violence, but it was the U.S. Marshals, so he thought that maybe it was in relation to a case he was involved in with his girlfriend about promoting prostitution. 
It wasn't until detectives showed him photos of Johnny and Lisa that he realized that this wasn't about either. WTOL reports that Sam was told that his DNA was found at the scene and that he didn't know if it really had been or if they were just using that as a tactic to get him to talk, so he asked to speak to his attorney. In this article, we learn that Sam's statements to detectives were actually suppressed or not allowed into the trial as evidence because he was not properly Mirandized, including a statement he made saying that he had never been inside Lisa's parents' house. And while a cigarette butt with his DNA was found in Lisa's parents' house, for the first time in this case, WTOL reveals that the first officer on scene who saw the cigarette butt by the door noted that it was odd that there wasn't any smell of smoke inside the house. WTOL 11 investigates also discuss the inmate who testified at Sam's trial, who says that he admitted he was looking for a deal and that his wife had looked up the details of the case. The outlet reports that police didn't believe the inmate's story until he mentioned the foreign currency. WTOL reports that the inmate said when he mentioned the foreign currency, everyone got quiet and he was told that the only people who knew that detail were Lisa's family, the police, and the killers. However, according to the outlet, the details of the foreign currency were in the search warrant of Lisa's parents' house, which was released to the media within a week of the murders and discussed widely across national platforms, including CNN. The next piece of information that WTOL took a deep dive into was where exactly Sam was on the night of the murders. They wrote that Sam's family was able to go through his social media and determine that he was at a bar that night with friends. One of the friends he claims he was with spoke to WTOL, who said that they stayed at that bar until it closed. WTOL was able to get information about a phone call Sam had made to a female friend, which had been placed at 10.27 p.m. and pinged off of a tower that covered that bar. Johnny and Lisa were believed to have been attacked 14 minutes after that call was placed, at around 10.41 p.m. that night. According to the outlet, that bar is a 20 to 30 minute drive from Lisa's parents' house. Sam tells WTOL that he believes he was set up and that the cigarette butt was placed there to throw off the police. However, the police are confident that they have their man. To this day, there are still sets of unknown DNA that haven't matched any of the multitude of people tested throughout their investigation. But as of late June, WTOL reports that investigators are working to see if those samples can be used to create familial profiles. So what do you think? Has Johnny and Lisa's killer been caught? Or are there people out there walking free that shouldn't be? For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Johnny and Lisa's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we discuss this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. 
If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad free and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. 